0: Amen. Good morning to you again. If you have a copy of God's Word in some form, I would love for you to join me this morning in the book of Revelation, chapter twenty-one. I know what I know what you might be thinking. You know, we might finish Luke if you actually started in Luke, but before we get into Luke, we need to do a little bit of 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 work this morning to transition us back into our study of the book of Luke. So, Revelation chapter twenty-one. So, so last week. We as Christians, we celebrated the apex of the Christian calendar, if you will, by focusing in on the incredible good news for believers through the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we can daily celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but yet we allow one day a year on our calendar where we truly focus and celebrate what Christ accomplished on our behalf. And last week, we looked at no matter where you find yourself in your opinion or your view of Jesus, we must all have an opinion of him. That we have to form an opinion of Jesus. Historically, Jesus is the most famous person in, the, in history. And the fact that he did live and die and that there is no evidence that has been provided to disprove his resurrection, we have to do something with Jesus. There's a historical person who died and was placed in a tomb and his body is not there. So something you have to have an opinion about Jesus. Now, you're dealing with Jesus, maybe nothing more than choosing to not think about him. Maybe you have... Maybe you have an opinion, maybe not have an opinion at all about him. Kind of the sticking your head in the sand approach where you just personally never deal with the facts. You just keep it very much on this level at the surface and don't think beyond that. And you may find yourself there. It may be that you are actively in a quest for truth. So maybe you don't have an opinion yet, but you're you're looking for truth. And I know we, we have people at all different ends of that spectrum this morning. But wherever you may be on the spectrum, I believe that we are all ingrained to personally long for a relationship with him, which leads us to ponder our view of Jesus. Whether you can even recognize it, God has formed in us a longing for something beyond this life. So no matter what you are doing to scratch that itch, we were created with a God-sized vacuum inside of us that can only be filled with him no matter how hard we try to find satisfaction and fulfillment in a variety of other very temporary things. Not necessarily all bad things, but anything that we try to fill this void in our life apart from the void that can only be filled uh, by Jesus Christ. It'll come up short. And this longing is not only for a relationship with him. It's not just about a relationship with him. That is supreme. But ultimately what it means for those who know Jesus is that we have a longing for his kingdom. We see that this world is not home. We have a longing for his kingdom. That's why we pray, God, may your kingdom come. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, Father, may your kingdom come. So we have a longing inside of us for the kingdom. And so when we reflected on the resurrection last week, we, we, we really focused in a little bit on that. And this week, we're going to take a couple of steps backwards in time and dive back into the gospel narrative that is presented by Luke in just a moment. And we're going to be preceding what actually happened on the cross. And so where we are in the gospel of Luke is prior to the death of Jesus. And it's right in the middle of his account where Jesus has turned his face to Jerusalem. To begin his journey to the cross. In Luke 9, which we went through about 17 years ago when we started Luke, we see this major turning point in the life. We're only five years old, I'm just kidding. We see this major turning point in the life and ministry of Jesus. In Luke 9, verse 51, Luke recounts the shift when he writes, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is a huge verse in the narrative. Because at this place, Jesus has been serving. Jesus has been modeling a kingdom life. Jesus has been healing. He has been feeding the sick. He has been doing all these things. And now, he is, after spreading the news of his kingdom, he now turns his face to begin the journey towards his death and his resurrection and his ascension that we relished in last week. And so we come to Luke 12, and we see that Jesus, in this place of urgency... He wants to encourage his disciples with a truth that resonates to us today as his followers concerning his kingdom. In order to understand the context for this discussion, I want you to see that between the initial coming of Jesus, when Jesus first came, and his second coming, when he will, as promised, return again, we are on a journey. We are on a journey. If you and I aren't careful we will allow our hearts and our minds to be so implanted in this world. And the circumstances and the events that depict our happiness and contentment, that if we're not careful, we can very easily lose the kingdom-mindedness, which should be a marking and characteristic of a follower of Jesus. That you and I, we can very easily see life through this worldly lens and see it as nothing more than the temporal things that we are currently experiencing. And we can lose sight that you and I are on a journey that one day nothing in this life will matter except for what we did for Christ and his kingdom. Our accomplishments, our wealth, our social status will mean nothing when we stand before the Father one day. And this is what I want us to see contextually before we dive into the focus that Luke has for us in chapter 12 of Luke. So look at Revelation 21, and I want you to read along with me. Beginning with verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I want you to hear this as the destination we are going. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. To the thirsty, I will give from him the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly and the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Verse 9, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Skip down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations." No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what's, what must soon take place. And Jesus says, and behold, I am coming soon. Amen. What a beautiful description that we have a, a home that we are traveling to. That, that this, is, this is perfect. There is no more more suffering. There is no more tears. There is no more pain and anguish. There is no more presence of sin. And you and I are journeying as kingdom citizens in that direction. We are moving towards that. What an amazing passage of scripture. This is a coming city. The kingdom of heaven is a real place where those who are in Christ will be in the presence of God forever. And so allow me to lay some kingdom foundations from this passage that I think we need to hold on to as we then go back to Luke and look at this journey that we're on. And that's first of all that we have to see as a kingdom foundation from this is that we are pilgrims on a journey. We are pilgrims on a journey. We are not residents that are eventually going to move. We are pilgrims on a journey. Brothers and sisters, may we see this morning that you and I live between two worlds. Between the declaration of the kingdom through Jesus and the consummation of the kingdom when Christ returns, we are on a journey through this land. The Bible says that we shouldn't get very get overly comfortable here in this world because we are strangers and aliens here. We are here for a season and we are responsible for what we do on this earth and how well we steward our time here. But this is not home. So while we are here recognizing that we are pilgrims journeying through this land, we live based on a kingdom agenda that is counterflow to the one that is dictated and communicated to us by the culture and society that we live in. We live differently because this culture and society does not shape our kingdom that we're going to. We live by a kingdom agenda. That while we're here on this earth, we do life very real and tangibly here. But we do so with our minds set on our future home. So may we see, first of all, that we are pilgrims on a journey. This is critical to grasp this morning. But secondly, we need to see that we are citizens of a kingdom to come. May you see that this morning. May we grasp that from this passage. That as we talk about journeying between here and there, we recognize that we are pilgrims through this land and we recognize that we are our citizenship as followers of Jesus, we are citizens of a kingdom to come. So we are careful to see that we live with a responsibility before God of how we live this life. But our overarching understanding for our conduct is that we are citizens of a kingdom to come. It's this twofold kingdom. It's this twofold kingdom: kingdom, the kingdom that already is and the kingdom that is not yet. So the kingdom of God is a present reality for us. Jesus ushered it in when he came to this earth and did what he did and accomplished what he accomplished, what we celebrated last week. He began the kingdom of God. It's a present reality for us. But we also don't limit it to this present reality of the reign of Jesus. We see that it is also a, a, a future hope. It is a future hope for us, that it is a present reality, but a future hope. Hope. That is why a text like we read in Revelation 21 is so foundational and huge for us as followers of Jesus to grasp because it reminds us of our home. What our home is like. You know this life is not our destination. Philippians 3:20 says that our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11 In this roll call of the cloud of witnesses where it names person after person who by faith this happened. And by faith this happened. And it just does this huge like honor roll of of those who have walked by faith. And in verse 13 and 14 it says about those that have gone ahead of us. It says that they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking their homeland that's, that's in 13 and 14, a homeland in which God is the builder. And so so all these people who lived by faith and were commended by faith, we read this honor roll and some of them received great treasures. And then we get to the end of the book and some of them were martyred. And some of them experienced death because of their faith. But what made them endure and what made them to be a person of faith is because they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles. And the home that they were longing for is a home that they, that they were seeking their homeland. And so whatever happened, happened here did not deter them from seeking where their desire was and where they were leaving their lives to a homeland in which God is the builder and this leads us to live with the ultimate purpose in our life of seeing the kingdom come C.S. Lewis once said this he said the fact that our heart yearns for something that earth can't supply is proof that heaven must be our home because the world cannot completely fulfill us and satisfy us. Just that lack of fulfillment leads us to see that, there, that our home is not here. That heaven must be our home. And this is exactly where we dive back into our text in Luke. By considering that as kingdom citizens, you and I yearn and long for, to live out our lives in anticipation of the return of the king. So the disciples of Jesus were walking with him. And they were seeing him teach about this kingdom that he was ushering in. And the king wants to teach his disciples about the kingdom and living in it in Luke 12. So I want you to turn with me in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Now, we haven't been in this book in a little while, and I want to kind of tell you where we're at. Luke begins. His, his, his gospel in Luke 12, Jesus begins by teaching his, his disciples to, to place their trust in him and not fear those who can harm the bodies. So he's talking about a kingdom agenda and he begins by saying, don't worry about those who can harm your body here on this earth, but fear the one who has authority to, over the body and their spirit, who can destroy both body and cast it into hell. He said, don't worry about earthly things. Think about the king. Think about the kingdom. And he then continues to to focus their attention by shifting their perspective on possessions. So remind, mind you, we're still rolling down through from a very kingdom-minded that our citizenship is not here. And he say, look, this is going to shape your, your worry. This is going to shape your possessions. He tells the, the parable of the rich young fool who, tells them the, who, who Jesus tells them the danger of living for anything temporary, which in this case was possessions. And the rich fool had gotten so much stuff that he said, man, I got to figure out how to build a bigger barn. To house everything and Jesus says you fool what you have will be taken from you tonight it'll be taken from you tonight and then what will be left of what you have toiled and saved up for here on this earth and Brady spoke last time we were in this text specifically about not being anxious still in this line of thinking he says listen people don't worry and be anxious in this life Jesus says, God is going to take care of his children. He takes care of the birds of the air and he clothes the flowers of the fields, and so he will take care of his children. And then Jesus speaks to them a gospel gem in chapter 12, verse 32. Underline this, highlight it in your Bible. Verse 32 He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is the Father's pleasure to give you this promised kingdom. So Jesus out of that says, look, sell your possessions, give to the needy, do what you're called to do, do well in this life and treasure the things in the next. Treasure the things in the next, those that will not go away. So then we get to our text in Luke. And out of this understanding, Jesus wants to give us specific instructions on how to journey well through this life while we wait for the next. So join me in chapter 12, verse 35. Verse 38, If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But now this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable, you know, for us? For us all, and the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom this master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and, and, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother in law against her daughter in law, and daughter in law against mother in law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Let's pray. God, in a difficult and challenging text, may you speak clearly to us today. God, may, may, the, may the blow of this text strike hard like it should. But God, may we also see the gracious hand of you. God, your gracious hand at work to know that we have deliverance, God, through Jesus. So God, will you be our teacher as we think about what it means to live in light of your return. And my prayer is that you will teach us that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to tell you this morning what we find from this passage. Some keys to living in light of Jesus' return. He's very strongly told us that we are to live with an anticipation. So, there's some keys that I think we glean from this, his teaching to his disciples about living in light of his return. And the first is found in verse 35 through 40 that we must be found prepared. That you and I must be found prepared. His return will be sudden. And we must be prepared. Jewish weddings were often held at night and a bridegroom's servants would have to wait on the master to come home with his bride. They could, wedding celebrations during this time could actually turn into weeks. They could have weeks of a marriage celebration. So, and they had no, long, no idea of what exactly when it was going to end. So the servant would wait on the master to come home. And when there was a delay, and so the time of his master uh, was undetermined, so obviously the master would not want to come home from a wedding celebration with your bride. He wouldn't want to have to come back to their new home and, and, and wait at the front door for the servant to get himself up and get gathered and dressed and come and attend them. The servant would be ready and waiting, eagerly anticipating, not knowing the time, but eagerly waiting to serve, which is his task. You know, to watch in this passage would mean to be alert, to be anticipating, not getting caught by surprise. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, Paul would write that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Peter would write in 2 Peter 3, 10, that the day of the Lord would come like a thief. And in Revelation 3, 3, we read the same imagery. And now in Luke 12, Jesus says in his parable about the master returning that like a thief, you do not know when the thief will come, so you must be alert and prepared and ready. You know, Venue, I want I to tell you a little bit about what I mean by this anticipation. It's a little different than what you might think. You know, Venue has been bl- blessed lately with the addition of many babies for many of our young families. What a blessing to welcome a new child into the world. Our daughters were born on January 23rd, 2007. 2007. At 807 and 808. We had a due date about six weeks after that date, though. So it came a bit of a surprise. But like new parents, we were prepared. You know, the closer that it got to our due date, the more we were watching and waiting for them to be born. So, yeah, they were born six weeks early. But guess what? The bed was set up, the room was ready, the bag was packed, although it had been packed the day before, but it was packed. We had everything ready to go because it was six weeks away. We didn't just say, oh, well, let's just do what we want to do. They, they'll get here. They're coming on January 23rd or whatever, whatever the date was, February something. Jan- they were born on January 23rd, but we're thinking they're coming later. Let's just enjoy ourselves. They'll be here. No, we, we, we began to, to get everything set up and get all the kitchen stuff set up and get the bathroom stuff ready for them. Now, we didn't stop and put life on hold while we waited. But every day we dreamed about it and anticipated the birth of our beautiful girls to where, as it got closer, I'll be checking with Carmen, how are you feeling? Everything going okay? Are you feeling okay today? You know, we live this way because we could not wait to meet our children. We couldn't wait to meet them. We didn't know exactly when they would come, but we anticipated it. Do you think about the coming of Christ in that way? It's his coming, this promised coming, where he tells his disciples to be ready and to be watching and to be waiting. Do you have this on your heart and on your mind? Not because you are fearful of his arrival. For many of us, you may be afraid of that time. But Jesus says we anticipate as followers of Christ his return, not because we are fearful, but because we love him because we are ready to see him face to face. You think about it and you anticipate him, not because you are forced to, but because you anticipate that day. You desire to see him. You cannot wait to see him. And Jesus tells his disciples to not be caught off guard. He says the reality is that Christ will return, church. This is a reality. He will return. And we can write that off and say, oh, yeah, 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 I know. He's coming back one day and just kind of not even think about it. But look, he's going to return. And for those of us who are believers, this is a glorious truth. Pain and suffering will end. It will be perfect. Everything that you think you want on this earth that keeps you from wanting Christ to tarry will, be just, will fade away in light of the truth of what heaven will be like. And so we yearn for that. He will return. But because we recognize the unpreparedness of many, we see a second key to living in light of Christ's return, and that is that we must be found faithful. He talks in this passage about a faithful servant, that when the master returns, he found the servant doing the work, and it says the master, and it's such such a beautiful picture of Christ serving us, it says the master actually dressed himself to serve at his coming. But we see through verse 41 through 48 that true obedience to Christ in light of his return doesn't mean that nothing in this life matters. Now listen to me about this. We don't say, oh well, the kingdom's coming, so none of this matters. No. He said that a good servant will be one who is working in the business of the master when he returns. So he doesn't just say, well, I can just do whatever I want to do because God saved me and I'm just going to kind of be on this vacation until he returns. No, he says a good servant is one that when the master returns, he finds his servant doing the work of the master. So often I fear that our unfaithfulness to Christ is rooted in the fact that we truly don't believe that he will come again. Yeah, we embrace that truth. But we truly don't believe that he will come again and that his return will be sudden and his return will be permanent and his return will be eternal forever. Now we could dive really deep into a lot of ramifications of this passage, but I want us to just think about this, 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 this particular phrase. That basically there are two, the overarching theme that is driven home is that there are two servants. There are two servants, one faithful and the other one unfaithful. So in anticipation of the coming of Jesus, let me ask you, are you living your life in a way that recognizes the imminent return of the king? How different would your life look if you knew that Jesus was returning tonight? How would it change your perspective if you knew that tonight Jesus was coming back? How would it change your values how would it change your priorities? How would it change the way in which you use your time? How would you live life differently today if you knew that Jesus were return- was returning? When he returns, will you be found walking in obedience or walking in disobedience? Because he could come any moment. He could come before I finish this message. No man knows the time or the hour. When he returns, will you, will you be found serving the least of these? Or will you be found hoarding all that you have been blessed with? When he returns, will you be found repentant? Or will you be found full of unrepentant sin? Jesus shows his disciples, and I believe us today from this passage, that there is serious implications of this text. So daily, will you strive to honor God with your life in anticipation that he will return? Jonathan Edwards wrote in the early 1700s a book called Jonathan Edwards Resolutions where he gave resolve about things that he was going to commit his life daily. And weekly, he would gospel his heart with these gospel-centered uh, resolves that he had. I want to read a couple of these for you. In his resolutions, he would often speak into his life weekly, and he had a few that referenced the return of Christ. I want you to hear some of these. He wrote, Resolved. Resolve never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolve never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trump. Resolve to inquire every night as I'm going to bed wherein I have been negligent, what sin I have committed, and wherein I have denied myself also at the end of every week, month, and year, resolved to ask myself at the end of every day, week, month, and year, wherein I could possibly in any respect have done better. Resolved, I will act so as I think I shall judge who, uh, I should judge what have been best and most prudent when I come into the future world. And resolve to endeavor to my utmost to act as I can think I should do if I had already seen the happiness of heaven and hell's torments. He says, I've resolved to live in such a way as if I had already seen the beauty and happiness of eternity of heaven and I had seen the horror horror of the separation in hell. As you survey the landscape of your life, are you living faithfully? in light of Christ's return? Will you be found as a faithful servant, the way in which Jesus tells his disciples here? We see another point in 49 through 53. We see that not only must must we be found working and faithful, we must be found persevering. You and I must listen to the warning that Jesus was issuing to his disciples. As we wait for him and watch for his return, we will not always have an easy time. Because remember, we aren't aliens on a vacation in a foreign land, but we are more like enemies in enemy territory. Jesus is a cause of division. He talks about that in respect to the home. But listen, Jesus is a cause of division. On encountering Jesus, there is a decision to be made. Jesus did not live a part-time life, nor die a part-time death, nor exercise part-time power, but he fully lived, and he fully died, and he is fully alive, and he has called his disciples to fully devote themselves to him. No matter the trial, and persevere knowing their reward is great in heaven. Remember, we come to Christ on his terms, not our terms. So there will be people, Jesus says in Matthew 7, that will look like followers of Christ through their activity. He says they will have cast out demons in his name. They will have prophesied in his name. They will have done a lot of activities in the name of Jesus. Yet they're going to hear these horrifying words from him that says, depart for I never knew you. That is a reality, church. I wish I could preach around that, but it is a reality. For many, maybe... You've responded to an invitation and prayed a prayer. Maybe even were baptized, yet your heart is far from God. You do not have a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus tells his disciples in this passage what may appear to be a contradictory statement. When he says the kingdom of Christ, is kind of like a two-sided kingdom. He said, you thought I came to bring peace? No, I came to bring division. But on one side, we see that he is our only hope for peace and grace and mercy. And this embodies the true essence of the kingdom. Yet on the other side of this kingdom, that is the kingdom of judgment, where the way in which he will prove to be a just God is through drawing a hard line between those who know him and those who do not. Those who truly are in a relationship with Jesus and those who are not. Jesus does give great peace to those who trust him. But often their declaration of faith in him will lead to division and strife. So we must see that our perseverance And our trust in God and the truth that even though there may not always be peace peace on earth, there is peace in heaven because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And in that truth, we persevere. We persevere. Then we see a final thing, and that is that we must be found dedicated. Jesus ends with two illustrations That points for us to be to be discerning as we walk through this journey towards His return. Jesus said to His disciples that if My people were as concerned at discerning spiritual matters like they were something as simple as the weather, they would be prepared. He says the crowd you can predict a storm, but you can fail to see the coming judgment that was coming when Christ returned. What a tragedy! What a tragedy that in our life we are such an informed people that we are aware of every social issue. We are aware of global issues. We are aware of the changing of the weather, yet are completely unaware and uninformed of the work that God is doing in our world today to usher in his kingdom in anticipation of his return. We are totally, un- totally unaware of the underlying truth that our King is restoring a kingdom in which one day He will return to set up His eternal reign. That's truth. That's truth. He goes on to talk about how anyone will do whatever it takes to stay out of prison when you got a debt against you. You will do whatever you can. He says, "You as you as you go with your, your accuser, you will make an effort to settle with him on the way." He talks about how how to stay out of prison, we would do that, but yet we are so lacking in diligence and dedication to do whatever it takes to prevent many from being being separated eternally from God. We're so unwilling. I pray that we may be dedicated to the mission that we are on. If we knew a storm was coming, we would prepare for it. If we knew that we had an officer coming to throw us in jail, we would get an attorney and we would try to settle the matter, But church, the truth is that the storm of God's wrath is coming. And the judge is already standing at the door, as Scripture say to us. So are we dedicated to be prepared and anticipating for his return? Jesus speaks to his His. Disciples, very clearly here. Some of the most intense language that Jesus uses is about his, and with urgency, about his return. He speaks with great urgency. So church, this passage of scripture from Luke 12 carries extreme weight and gravity for us today. In light of the truth that God is gracious, I don't want to paint a picture this morning of a Harsh and judging God, because the truth is, all of us were destined for an eternal separation in hell. And God sent His Son Jesus, very graciously and loving, to die for us. So the truth is, the way has been paved for eternal being in the presence of God eternally. But what we see from this short series of stories is that there are two eternal destinations that await all of humankind. Jesus said to his disciples, "That there will come a time for all of us that we will die, and we will be before God as our judge. There is heaven where we will experience unhindered and unending enjoyment with the Father, and there is hell where many will experience unending separation from the Father. And so we must ask ourselves this morning, Christians and non-Christians alike, are you ready?" Here's the bottom line, church. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 through 28 says this. As we anticipate the second coming of Jesus, as we've celebrated the first and anticipate the second, Hebrews says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. To save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So are you prepared? Are you ready? This is not a a scare tactic sermon. This is God's word walking through it very expositoryly walking through the passage. The question we ask ourselves, are we prepared? This is not a question solely to ponder, but a question that we must be able to answer correctly. His return is near. This morning, if you aren't a believer, praise God, the return of Jesus has been delayed. And you have the opportunity to trust in him. To trust in him not just for security eternally But to trust in him for the beauty that he brings to life To be restored to your very creator You have that opportunity and I plead with you I plead with you This morning if, if you are a believer You have an opportunity to look at your life and say Am I hopeful for his return or do I actually dread it? For many of us, this exposes a hard truth in our life that there are things in this world that we love more than him. We have built idols that we bow before and the thought of Jesus returning and taking those away from us shows that we may love those things of the world more and make them desire for the return of Christ to be delayed because I just want to experience these things, God. These are, more, these are important to me. Jesus says he didn't even know the time or the hour, but to be on guard and prepared and ready for his return. But my prayer is that as followers of Jesus, that we will see the beauty of being eternally in the presence of God. That the passage we began with in Revelation 21 will ring into your hearts and you will be excited and eager to trade the brokenness of this world for the completeness that we will have in Christ. And that we will eagerly, we will eagerly join the writer of Revelation who ends in the very next chapter of the Bible with these words. And he says, he, Jesus, who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. In which the writer responds, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May you and I live in an anticipation between two kingdoms, anticipating that when the day when we get to be home with our Father, let's pray together. Father, thank you.